You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Good morning, church. Hope everybody is doing well. Merry Christmas. Isn't it hard to believe it's already that time of year where we're wishing each other a Merry Christmas? Feels like this year has flown by. And I'm excited it's Christmas. I love this time of year for so many different reasons. I was riding into work this morning, listening to Christmas music on the radio, and a little caveat for you, I am a firm believer that you don't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. There we go. They're the true believers. Um, but Thanksgiving has come and gone. And so I say, bring on the Christmas music, K-Love. And it, you know... It takes me down memory lane. When the Christmas music starts, I, I think back to when I was a little kid and, and all of the excitement around Christmas and then uh, time spent with family, some of which are no longer here. And I think back to sweet memories with them. And, and as we grow up, then my wife and I, we had kids of our own. And I remember the excitement around Christmas for them. Or maybe you don't have kids, but you have nieces and nephews and you just watch the excitement. I was thinking about that this morning, and I was reminded of a time when our oldest daughter was probably, I don't know, she was four or five maybe, which is, I mean, like prime excitement time. And we would put her to bed, and we were all ready for Santa to come that night, and I'm getting ready to go to bed myself, and I'm like, man, I am really hungry. But it's so late at night, you know, I really don't want to make something to eat. I know what I'll do. We've got cookies out for Santa, what is one less cookie, one less bite for that matter? So I snuck over to Santa's cookie tray, and right as I was taking a bite out of his cookie, apparently Denise was not asleep. And she walked around the corner and was horrified to see that I was eating Santa's cookie. I think I, I made the naughty list that year. But I love thinking back uh, to times like that. I, I just love this time of year, whether it's the music or it's the anticipation of time with family and friends. Maybe it's the food, right? It's just a continuation of Thanksgiving and all the food we ate. When Pastor Marty asked me if I'd preach this, I said, absolutely, but fair warning, I'm going to be waddling over that stage because I ate way too much. Or maybe it's just the excitement of the gifts. I mean, I think it's fun to give gifts, but I also think it's fun to receive uh, gifts. But here at Charity, we want to keep the main thing, the main thing, and why it is that we celebrate Christmas. And that is the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I was riding in this morning, and I was listening to K-Love, and they actually said a quote that I was like, oh, that'll preach, K-Love. It says, Christmas is more than a baby being born in a manger, it is evidence of God's relentless love towards us. I said, that's good stuff. I have a feeling that's going to make it into the message today. So I'm driving. I'm repeating that quote as many times as I could so I could get to work and type it real quick before I forgot it. But it is evidence of God's relentless love towards us. And one of the things that I love so much about Christmas is the fact that everybody around the world recognizes the significance of this date, whether they claim to be a follower of Jesus or not. I mean, our calendars are based on this significant event, B.C. and A.D. 
BC, anything that happened before Christ. AD means in Latin, the year of our Lord. I love the fact that everybody recognizes the significance of this date, regardless of where they are in faith. And uh, not only that, as I was studying for this message, something I, I discovered I think is so cool, just the significance of Jesus and who he is. I was doing some research and I did not know this, but apparently newspapers and journalism, they have a specific type of font that they use for their headlines. And they have one that they use in the rarest of occasions. Occasions like the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, the assassination of JFK. On September the 12th, they used it to talk about the towers coming down on September 11th. And the font that they use is the largest font that they have. And it is actually called the second coming type. How cool is that? The second coming type. Everybody recognizes the significance of who this man is, Jesus. And I just love that. I mean, Jesus is coming back. So that is a good headline type, second coming. And when he comes back, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But what we celebrate at Christmas is the arrival of his first coming. And where we get our key text for this, this series that we're in called, and he shall be called, is found in the book of prophecy in Isaiah. And this is the announcement of Jesus' coming for the first time. Now, to give you a little context, Isaiah uh, was a prophet. You can find his book in the Old Testament. Often he is referred to as the evangelistic prophet. And that is because Isaiah speaks more about the coming Savior and the redemptive work of Jesus than any other book of prophecy in the Old Testament. And so things were not going well for Israel at this time. Israel had 12 tribes. Many of those tribes had already been overtaken by the Assyrian army. And Isaiah is speaking specifically to the tribe of Judah, and he is warning them, do not put your faith in any foreign alliance. Rather, hold strong and put your faith in the Lord. And he's prophesying what is to come, and that is the coming of Jesus. He says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So over the next four weeks, we are going to take a journey together, and we're going to look at these four names that Isaiah gives the coming Messiah. We're going to begin today with Wonderful Counselor. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we just come to you, and Lord, I just ask that you do this morning what only you can do. God, I pray that you will soften hearts and open minds. God, that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your word has to say. God, I pray that you'll speak through me and that, Lord, today is a day of life change. God, I pray that today is a day of salvation for somebody in this room. Have your way, Lord. We ask and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I love the first verse here. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. One of the reasons I love this first verse right here is because we see in verse six both the humanity and the deity of Christ. 
in this one verse. Unto us, a child is born. This shows Jesus's humanity, that Jesus, just like you and me, was born of a woman. But then he goes on and he says, to us, a son is given, which implies he already existed. And he, he did already exist. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. He has been here from the very beginning in the gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the word. Anybody know who the word is? Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of time. He is eternal. He is God. He was born his humanity He was given, he already existed, his deity. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. I've said this many times, but I love how the message paraphrase puts this, that he moved into the neighborhood. He left his place of heaven and he moved into the neighborhood. He dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So I love that we see his humanity and his deity right there. Isaiah goes on and he gives this coming Messiah four four titles, four names. The first one being Wonderful Counselor. And this word wonderful is used multiple times throughout scripture, but every time that word is used, it does so to give this sense of something supernatural, something beyond our comprehension. The word wonderful is something that is indescribable to us. And we just throw that word around um, kind of flippantly. We make songs about it. Isn't she lovely? Sean, where are you? Isn't she wonderful? Man, the first service didn't get that, right? But in scripture, the word wonderful is something that our minds can't even comprehend. It's beyond our imagination. And we we think of Jesus and who he is, it should give us a sense of awe and wonder. The fact that he did in fact leave his perfect place in heaven and move into the neighborhood that he came to this broken world and he did that for you and me out of love and obedience from the Father and his love for us, that he would be willing to do that. And when we think about, as Paul says, when Jesus lays down his life for us on the cross and when Paul tells us he did that, that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean our act up. It was while we were still sinners, that's when he made the sacrifice, and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. When we think about Jesus and who he is and his life and his sacrifice, it should give us a sense of awe and wonder as we enter into the Christmas season, as we enter into every day for that matter. But when we recognize him coming to this earth at this time of year, it should give us wonder. But he's not just called wonderful, he's called counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. And I like how Isaiah 28, 29 says it. It says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel. He's wonderful in counsel. And the reason why is because he's excellent in wisdom. He's excellent in wisdom. Jesus is 
the wonderful counselor. Marty and I were talking about this message and studying for, and we kind of laughed at the fact that, you know, anybody, if you think about it, is capable of giving counsel to someone else. The problem is way too often it's bad counsel. It's poor counsel because it's not covered in wisdom. And there's a big difference in just giving your opinion. And I think way too often we're seeking counsel in all the wrong places. And people want to give you their knowledge and what they think on a situation. But as Marty says all the time, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. The analogy he uses is knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put tomatoes in a fruit salad. I think way too often we're seeking counsel from people who aren't covered in wisdom and they're just giving us worldly advice and we wonder why we're walking around and our lives look like a fruit salad full of tomatoes. But Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's perfect in counsel because he's excellent in wisdom. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a couple of different encounters that the wonderful counselor Jesus had with different people going through different things, probably like many in this room are going through right now. In a room this big with this many people, we're all over the place on what it is we're struggling with, what it is that maybe you're wondering if you can seek counsel. And I do want to say that I think that biblical counseling is a great thing, but perfect counsel comes from Jesus. And we can learn from the way he interacted uh, with different people. You see, Jesus is God and God does not look upon man the way that we look at each other. We look at each other and we look at the outside. Jesus sees past the outside and he sees directly to the heart of man. And I believe way too often we can be really good at kind of putting on a mask. I can be going through one of the worst times in my life and I put on my good Christian boy church mask and I walk in here and nobody would be any of the wiser. Jesus sees past the mask and he sees straight to the heart of the matter. And so I want to look at several different encounters. The first one, maybe you've had a really, really good year. And I mean, you are so proud of the things that you've accomplished this year. I mean, you've been chasing the American dream and you finally called it. You grabbed it by the tail. I mean, you just couldn't be more proud of yourself. And you look back at your accomplishments and you think, I'm good. Particularly if you look how you lived your life compared to other people. Well, Jesus has an encounter with a young man who had accomplished many great things. Somebody who was very smart. We know this encounter, this account as the rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he asks a question. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, if you read this entire account, you'll realize that he almost asked that in kind of a mocking way, a a trick way, because he thought, man, I'm good. I've accomplished everything. He was, he was, hanging on to his own self-righteousness, but the scripture tells us that no one is righteous, no, not one. He figures that Jesus is gonna point him to the commandments, which Jesus does in fact point him to some of the commandments, to which the rich young ruler says, oh, I'm good then, I've kept all those. But you can't outsmart Jesus. And Jesus replies to this young man, he says, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. This is a very interesting encounter. This is the only time that Jesus tells somebody, go sell everything. Why? 
because he sees straight to the heart of man. I mean, a tithe, that wasn't going to get it done for this guy. Given out of the abundance, that wasn't going to get it done. Jesus knew that he did not have this young man's heart. His stuff, his accomplishments, his materialism, his self-righteousness is what had his heart. And so Jesus tells him, unlike any other person we read about in scripture, you need to go sell it all. And I'm just curious this morning, is there something that has a hold of your heart in place of God that you need to completely let go go of? For this young, rich, young ruler, it was a stuff. And it says he walked away sad because he had great wealth. Maybe for you, it's been a rough year. You feel like there's just this void in your life and you have been desperately seeking high and low, far and wide for anything that could fill that void. Well, Jesus has an encounter with someone just like that who was trying desperately to fill the void in her life with relationships with other people. And for us, maybe it's not relationships. Maybe it's some kind of substance. Maybe it's something else that we keep turning to, trying to fill this empty void in our lives and we don't know where to turn. Well, Jesus has an encounter with a woman. We know it is the woman at the well, but this is a fascinating encounter found in the gospel of John chapter four. And this woman was seeking to fill that void in personal relationships. She's having a conversation with Jesus. Jesus points out to her she had been married five times before and the guy she was living with at the time, he wasn't even her husband. She was trying to fill that void with personal relationships. And I think we are so guilty at trying to fill a void in our lives with all kinds of different things. And Jesus is saying, none of that will suffice. You need something else. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, living water. And so Jesus, there's so much in this account. One, she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. They didn't get along with each other. They didn't speak to one another. Jesus didn't care about that. He crosses those those cultural norms. He engages in conversation with her, which blew her away anyway. Then she starts asking deeper things and he's saying, none of that will suffice. You need living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. She wasn't getting it yet. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again because the water that I will give in him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus has the only thing that will truly satisfy. Many of you have experienced that. Many of you have experienced the opposite as well. I have, where you're seeking to fill a void in your life with something. You know the problem with that? Let's say it's some kind of substance and you're just trying to mask some problem, some struggle going on in your life. And you're trying to fill that void and fill that void. You know what happens? You wake up the next morning, one, you feel terrible. Two, that void is all empty all over again. And so you gotta keep going back and going back and going back to the well and trying to fill that void. And many times what happens is before you know it, you've gone back to that well so many times that nothing seems to satisfy. You look at your life and the train wreck it's become 
and you think to yourself, how did I get here? I never thought I would be that person. And so your life maybe this morning is completely overwhelmed with guilt and shame. You think, man, all I was trying to do was fill a void. And instead, I feel an emptiness and a loneliness that I never thought possible. Maybe you got caught in the act doing something and it just completely blew up certain relationships you had. Like Pastor Marty talked about last week, you didn't stop and pause and think, what is it that I stand to lose? And you went for it anyway. Now you've lost it and you're covered with guilt and you're covered in shame and you don't know where to turn. Well, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, has a word for us because in another encounter he has in John chapter eight, he has an encounter with a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Imagine the guilt and shame that this woman would have felt. She's caught in the very act of adultery. The religious leaders bring the woman to Jesus. And I've always wondered, where was the guy? Like they only bring the woman. Where was the guy? I know times were different back then, but still. So they bring the woman in front of Jesus and they say, based on the law, we have every right to stone this woman to death. And I love Jesus, the wonderful counselor. He just stays so calm. So calm, cool, and collect. It says he just simply bent down. He just started writing in the dirt. I always wondered, what was Jesus writing in the dirt? I thought one day I'd want to ask him, but I think when I'm standing face-to-face with him, I won't care what he was writing in the dirt. But I just wonder, you ever seen that movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer? I wonder if Jesus was writing, I know what you did last night. And you, and you, He just calmly stands up and and they're saying, we want to kill her. We want to kill her. I love how he just wasn't taken off guard. He wasn't caught by surprise. I was telling Marty, I said, Marty, don't judge me. Cone of safety. I said, but when I first got into ministry, man, people would come to me with the things that they want counseling for. And I'm not going to lie. I got freaked out a few times. They would say something to me and my flesh would be like, like, I don't know how to respond to that. This is way out of my pay grade. Oh my gosh, what in the world? By the way, I stopped being surprised a long time ago. So feel free to come and talk. I stopped being surprised. But you know the cool thing? God is never taken off guard like that. He's never caught by surprise by how broken this world is and how depraved as people we can be. And so Jesus has a word for the old religious heads that are standing there in front of him. As they continue to ask him, he stood up because he'd been writing in the dirt. And he said, let him who was without sin, listen to this amazing counsel from the wonderful counselor. Him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I love that. And it says they went away one by one, beginning with the oldest. And I read that and I bet, I bet they did. Because the longer you've lived life, the more junk you've done, right? And if, and if he was writing in the dirt what it is they were doing, and I don't know, it doesn't tell us what he was writing. I bet they were like, oh, God, yeah, I don't want to bring that up. I'll make this woman's issue seem pretty minor in JV. They went away one by one by one until it was just Jesus and the woman standing there. And I believe right now, this is one of the most beautiful things that you can read in scripture, this encounter that Jesus has 
the wonderful counselor with this woman. It says, Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And I love this right here. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. I believe that is some of the the most beautiful counsel from the wonderful counselor that we see in scripture. You see, Jesus throughout scripture is the perfect personification of both grace and truth. He's not a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth. He's grace and truth totally. But I believe that the order in which Jesus approaches this woman right here is something that we can learn from. It's something I've tried to uh, apply in my own personal life. It's something that I have tried to apply countless times in pastoral ministry. Notice the order. He says, neither do I, grace, now go from now on and sin no more. Every time I read that, I think, man, How backwards is that from the way we normally do it? Most of the time, we want to say, you need to go clean your act up, then come see me. It's so easy to look judgmentally at other people. But Jesus said, hey, remove the plank from your own eye before you want to approach your neighbor and try to remove the speck of dust in their eye. But we're really good at pointing out the the dust in other people's eyes. And so often, we want to point them to truth before we ever extend grace. Somebody walks into church on a Sunday morning. We're like, God, you still smell like the bar from the night before. What are you doing here? And the reality is this is the very place they need to be. We see somebody come in here and maybe, you know, they're not wearing as much clothing as we think is appropriate for church. And we're like, how dare you walk into God's house dressed like that? Why don't you go out and buy some Sunday best and then come back and see us? Can I tell you something, man? We could learn so much. Grace, then truth. I can tell you it's way more effective to sit down with somebody and be willing to listen to their story and their past and where they've come from and then point them to truth than to sit down and just start Bible thumping somebody and never take the time to hear their story. The wonderful counselor shows us the order in which to do it. Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Can you imagine the motivation this woman probably had to go and try her best to sin no more from that day on? But we should think the same way. As Paul said, it was while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. I can't think of a greater motivator to try to live my life in a way that looks like Jesus, which is what we're supposed to do, than to realize It was while I was still messed up in my sin, caught in my sin, separated from God. That's when Christ died for me. Grace and then truth. And the final encounter, I believe, you know, is one that maybe speaks to somebody in this room because we've seen somebody who had all the worldly accomplishments you could ever want. And he was held up. He had pride in his self-righteousness. Man, we had a woman seeking to fill a void that no personal relationship could ever fill. Because of that void or because of action taken, we see another woman who is absolutely riddled with shame and guilt. And maybe one of those speaks to you. But with the final encounter I want to look at is when Jesus has an encounter 
with a religious leader, a man named Nicodemus. And maybe for you, I mean, you've grown up in church your entire life. You're like, bro, I was like the rock star kid at Iwanis. I got all the answers right. I had all the badges and I got a little bit older and went into middle school and high school. Like I was the kid that the pastors would call on because they knew I was gonna have the answer. I got a little bit older than that. I started serving in the nursery. I didn't even have kids. I don't even like kids. That's just how spiritual I am. I served in the nursery. And then I was a greeter at the front door. I mean, like I am a rock star when it comes to this whole church thing. And maybe you put on that church mask and you got the entire world fooled. But Jesus sees past the mask. He sees straight to the heart. And so Nicodemus, this religious leader, he he sees something different about Jesus. And he wants to have a conversation with Jesus. And he goes and he has a conversation with Jesus at nighttime because he didn't want to be seen by any other religious leaders. And he asks Jesus a question about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. We want to make sure he was doing it right. To which Jesus replies, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus asked one of the fairest questions, I think, in all of scripture. He was like, what? He said, how can a man be born when he is old? Seems like a good question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born doesn't seem possible. In fact, it seems kind of weird. Fair question. Maybe this morning, one of those categories hits home for you. Self-accomplishment, trying to fill a void, shame, all of your religious accomplishments. Jesus doesn't care about any of his religious accolades. He says, you gotta be born again. And maybe this morning you're like, how do you be born again, Tommy. I can't crawl back in my mother's womb. Well, Paul writes in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I just want to encourage you. If you've never taken that step of faith, today can be the greatest day of your life. Today can be the day that you confess with your mouth right where you are, watching online right now, sitting in this room right now, that you confess with your mouth that you recognize you are in need of a Savior. You recognize you're not that Savior. Your Savior has a name. His name is Jesus, the one we celebrate this time of year. And you believe in your heart that he is who he says he is. And he has done everything he said he would do. And that is that he came to this earth Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrate at this time of year. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life and then he did for you and me what we could never do on our own. He extended grace. He gives us an undeserved gift where Jesus laid down his life on a cross for you and for me. And he bridged the gap between a holy God and our broken sinfulness. He paid the price for our sin. They put his lifeless body in a tomb, but on the third day in all his glory, Jesus rose from the dead, proving he is who he says he is. He can do all he said he would do. If you will confess that with your mouth and believe in your heart, Paul says you will be saved. 
this Christmas season would take on a new meaning like you've never experienced before in your life. And can I tell you something? The minute that happens, your life will never be the same. In fact, we're told that we're given brand new life, that the old life is gone, a brand new life has begun. And that new life is supposed to look different. The new life in Christ, Romans 8, 29 says that now we are, our lives are to be conformed to the image of his son, of Jesus. Our lives should look more and more and more and more like Christ. Maybe you're thinking, man, well, that sounds great. But how great would it be, Tommy, to look more and more like Christ if I had Christ right here with me? A model in which to follow. Man, this is Christmas time. And I think when I think of Christmas, one of the things I think of are the gifts. It's fun to give. It's fun to receive. Just gift giving is fun in general. Well, Jesus gives us a gift. Jesus says, it's better that I go so that I can give you another, a helper, the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you talking to his disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will teach us all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If you believe in Jesus and you are saved, he promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, he will bring to remembrance all things that the wonderful counselor has told you. Imagine how we could change the world around us if we start interacting with people the way that the wonderful counselor interacted with people. If we started extending grace, if we started pointing to truth the way that Jesus did, meeting people right where they are. Bottom line is perfect counsel is found in Jesus alone, who is the wonderful counselor. Perfect counsel because he is excellent in wisdom. And so as we move forward and we go into the Christmas season, man, I pray that you will pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you into remembrance of all the things that the wonderful counselor has taught us and modeled for us so that we can in fact do what Paul says and have our lives conform to the image of the son. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for so many examples in your word of your perfect counsel. Uh, we just looked at a few today, but I pray that you give us this desire to dig into your word, to see that counsel time and time again. God, as we move forward, that the Holy Spirit, that he will lead us and direct us and bring into remembrance all that you have taught us. God, I just pray for anybody under the sound of my voice right now who was relying on themselves. God, who has been chasing the wrong things, looking for fulfillment. That God, anybody who because of that feels overwhelming shame, or maybe they've been putting their hope in all the wrong things, that today, Lord, would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day that they go from death to life. Lord, we love you. 
and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.